Welcome, everybody, back to Sports Talk. After a ridiculous game yesterday that had just about everything you could ask for. Excitement, drama, controversy, greatness. And when it was all said and done, Andy Reid, Patty Mahomes, and the KC Chiefs won their second Super Bowl in the last four years. It was good. Really good. Lived up to the hype, lived up to the billing. I predicted KC by a field goal. I thought 30-27. I was a little off. Higher scoring game than I anticipated. 38-35. Nonetheless, Adrian, uh, this one lived up to everything. Fantastic game. I know that fans out there want to blame the last call. I'm not uh, one of those people right there. I just take the game for what it was. It was a fantastic matchup. Jalen Hurts played outstanding. You couldn't have asked anything more from him. Maybe you could have asked a little more from the Philly defense, which recorded zero sacks yesterday against Kansas City and uh, an injured Patrick Mahomes, which every time he went down, I was grimacing myself, hoping that he would be okay. Uh, And that's the Patrick Mahomes factor right there. He willed his team to victory at all, uh, despite all the adversity that he faced himself with that injury and that sprain right ankle. Uh, he looked magnificent yesterday. Well-deserved win for the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, when he was getting up and you could tell either re-aggravated that ankle. He did something when he fell, landed awkwardly. And I was like, uh-oh, here comes Chad Henney, who we almost spoke to. We were so close on Wednesday at Chiefs Media Day to talk to Chad Henney. We wanted to, to ask him about what would happen if he was to go in for an you know an injured Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl and he was just wrapping up when we were there and as we were getting ready to to try to fire some way he just uh, you know walked out and I was like man we just missed it but I thought that actually was going to happen, Adrian. Yeah, I thought so too. I, You know what? Our guys did okay though, Steve. Sky Moore scored a touchdown yesterday, played outstanding for the Chiefs, and we got a chance to interview him. Uh, Legereus Sneed, Louisiana Tech's own, oh. he had the forced fumble hit that led to Nick Bolton uh, recovery for a touchdown uh, early in the contest. And you know what? I, I really liked the whole performance by that Kansas City defense and what they were able to do. I know it's hard to slow down. Jalen Hurts in that uh, Eagles offense, uh, but when it came to making plays late in that one and capitalizing on that fumble that Jalen Hurts had, uh, that was pretty impressive. It was. And like I said, uh, this game did have controversy. The holding call late has been all people have been talking about since last night. And there's a lot of ways you can slice and dice this one. I mean, was it a holding call? Absolutely. Should it have been called in that situation? Depends on who you talk to. I was in a chat group last night, and they all said, absolutely, you call that. It was a holding call. If you don't call it, you know, you're, you're, you're making a mistake. But then again, think about this. That was the first defensive holding call the entire game. The entire game. There were situations to where Philadelphia was holding on to. I think it was Juju Smith-Schuster. In one play where they were just grabbing onto him, he missed the ball because of it. No P.I. No P.I. So, if you're not going to call it all game long, and then you decide to call it when it matters most in the final two minutes of the fourth quarter of a tie game, is that right or is that wrong? And, and Adrian, this goes back to what we've been saying all season long, okay? The officiating in the NFL... Roger Goodell could say all he wants. It has been inconsistent all year long. All year long. And when you had that crew yesterday that let everybody play and really didn't want to, didn't really call much, and then all of a sudden you take a, a hold, which was a hold, but based on game situation, what was left, uh, it was a very you know questionable a decision as far as timing goes of that call based on what the rest of the game looked like. 
I totally agree. And I would also say with all of this right there, it's the ultimate what if, which we were deprived of. What if Philly had the ball with under two minutes to go and they had a chance to either kick a field goal to tie the game or, uh, you know, something where they could march down the field and actually win the game in that situation? That would have been uh, really interesting to see Philly because they were marching down the field left and right against that Kansas City defense. And uh, I would think that the Eagles probably move the ball, maybe tie the game, send it to overtime. So that's what it really um, ripped uh, ripped away from us as fans. But I would say this, Kansas City had so many instances where they moved the ball at ease against that Philly defense. Oh, yeah. And Philly's defense did not slow down that Kansas City offense. So you could blame, if you want to blame anything at the end of the day, blame the Philly defense. That's right. They were a non-factor in this game. Kansas City never punted in the second half. They scored 24 points. Could have been 28. But heads up for Jarek McKinnon not going into the end zone when Philadelphia wanted him to score so they could get the ball back in the final 140 and try to tie it. That's heads up football right there by Jarek McKinnon. And the truth is this, okay? Even though Patrick Mahomes was gimpy, or at least we thought he was. He didn't look very very gimpy in the second half. He was still running around like crazy. You know, Philadelphia's defense, which everybody made such a big deal about before the game, put no pressure on Mahomes, never hit him, never made him feel uncomfortable, never did anything, and they couldn't stop KC in that second half. So the truth is, you know, we could talk about this this call all we want. Philadelphia did themselves no favors in this game on the defensive side. In fact, Kansas City's defense played much better than Philadelphia's defense. I would agree completely, and I would also say that all week long we were wondering how is Philly going to stop Travis Kelsey? What are they going to do to shut him down? And in the second half, they did a great job of doing so, but it, the problem was is they could not stop the supporting cast of Kansas City. I'll give Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid a ton of credit. I thought they developed an amazing game plan. The way that they were balancing and mixing in that run game against that uh, Philly defense, that threw the Eagles off. Yep. They did not have any answer to Isaiah Pacheco. Checo, who had some uh, really significant run in, uh, runs in the second half, and what that did is it allowed Patrick Mahomes uh, to kind of breathe a little bit. He didn't have to do everything in certain situations like maybe we've seen him do in years past. He could uh, you know, rely on Isaiah Pacheco to get him some yards. He could. And by the way, the reason uh, that Eric Bieniemy is trying to get the Washington Commanders offensive coordinator job is so he can call the plays. He doesn't call the plays for the Chiefs. That's Andy Reid's gig. Does Biennemi help him design the game plan? Absolutely. But when it comes to execution, okay, that's that's the Andy Reid show. And Biennemi knows that as long as he stays with KC, he'll never get the credit because it's the because it's Andy Reid's offense. He's the coordinator, but Reid's the play caller. So... If the enemy goes to Washington and he is responsible for a great season with the Commanders and he calls the plays, suddenly his chances of getting a head coaching job have just skyrocketed. So if you're wondering why leave a Super Bowl powerhouse like Kansas City, there's your answer if you're Eric Bieniemy, Have the chance to get out of Andy Reid's shadow and call the plays. And by the way, Reid is a magician for how he called that football game. I mean, as good as it gets offensively against that defense, which wasn't a defense. And that's what's so impressive to me. was we For everything we heard about the Philadelphia defense, Kansas City's offensive line completely neutralized them, and they could run the ball against them. So, yeah, it was, it was just a, a fun, fun football game. It was a classic Super Bowl. So many takeaways. Uh, there were issues, though, okay? Besides the call, the field was a disaster. Considering they spent two years and $800,000 developing this turf for this game, I mean, this it had to be probably the worst footing for a Super Bowl football game than ever before because guys were slipping all over the place. And you know the NFL was bragging about how many you know how many years they were they were they were taking and making this custom turf and rolling it out and doing all this doing all that. 
Uh, they might as well just left what was already in Glendale and played with that because this stuff was uh, was a train wreck. It really was. That was uh, embarrassing, actually, for the NFL to roll that out there and watch as everybody's slipping left and right. I mean, even the kicker, Jake Elliott, on a kickoff where he's just trying to simply plant his left foot to get ready to kick, uh, you know, just a simple kickoff. He's uh, he's having a struggle based off the ground that's on there at State Farm Arena and or State Farm Stadium. It was very embarrassing by the NFL to roll something out like that, which was so expensive, took so long to develop, and was such a uh, disaster when it was all said and done. So we were there for three days. Um, We came back Saturday and had a chance to watch the game here. I'm happy I did. Great to be around friends and family. Um, But the trip was so much fun. And we've already posted all the podcasts and laying down the law. I know we're working on those as well. We'll get those up for you here on our uh, on-demand channel, wherever you listen to 600 ESPN, whether it's uh, Google Play, the uh, Apple, iTunes, or Spotify. Um, but as we're ending Friday's show, which was memorable, last 10 or 15 minutes, the story about New Mexico State broke. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, in this area especially, if you ever wanted a story to overshadow Super Bowl 57, you picked it. Because this thing, and by the way, far from over, far from over, But this story made national news, lead on ESPN, right there before the big game was even going to be played. It was the lead. And I just can't believe how a program that has been such a consistent dynamo and power in mid-major college basketball and was built by a lot of different people. You look at that group and you look at all the people responsible for building that program up, and most recently Chris Jans, second round of the NCAA tournament last season, and how quickly. Forget the fact that you know that these, you know what we're hearing, but the disturbing nature of the stories surrounding the program, first with the peak incident, and now this, and. And, and how the program has now been suspended for the rest of the season. They've ceased operations. Adrian, I still cannot believe that we're talking about this right now. And once that, um, you know, New Mexico State police report came out and uh, Colin Deva, Rachel Phillips, everybody was all over that. Um, it is just, it's, I mean, you're, you're at a loss for words. And this program is now, um, you know, in a spot that, it hasn't been out in probably ever before. We're talking about uncharted waters here in New Mexico State. We uh, talk and use the word culture a lot in sports, and coaches will reference, well, we love our culture, the culture that we've developed here at this program, so on and so forth. Well, the culture right now at New Mexico State is absolutely toxic based on what has gone on over the course of the Greg Hire higher and since uh, he's been here with New Mexico State it's just been um, you know really damaging to this basketball program which is storied carries a lot of tradition uh, and has a rich history Uh, I'm very disappointed in the first thought I had when I was seeing some of the details come out is I felt so bad for anybody who is affected by this on that New Mexico State men's basketball team because you hear that he uh, that the victim or you know maybe even victims were repeatedly hazed this happened all the way back uh, since August, July. Uh, This person couldn't help himself and it was kind of a three-on-one situation. This is, I mean, degrading. This is humiliating. And What it really is is just to uh, uplift somebody who is doing such a uh, abusive tactic right here. And that is, that's horrific right here, what we're hearing from uh, the New Mexico State men's basketball program. I mean, I have a feeling, as I tweeted out a few hours ago, that we will be spending much more time today and over the next few days talking about what's going on in Las Cruces with the basketball program versus what happened yesterday in Glendale, Arizona. I just have this feeling. I really do. But we want to get to that today. Rachel Phillips is going to join us on the phones from our news partner, KVIA, ABC7, later in the show. Also, Philip Wellman, the new manager of the El Paso Chihuahuas, had a chance to meet the media today. I sat down and went one-on-one with El Paso's new skipper. 
We'll do all that over the next couple hours. Get you ready for John Teicher. UTEP basketball, top of the 6 o'clock hour, live from Moon Tower, just up the street. And we'll talk about UTEP's wins over UTSA on Saturday. But first, let's go to Charlie One, kick it off right. He has our first traffic update of the afternoon. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. The uh, story of what has gone on at New Mexico State with the men's basketball program um, has been a very disturbing uh, situation. Chris Jans was asked about it when um, the you know head coach at Mississippi State did so much to build New Mexico State over the last uh, you know four or five years. Here's what he said, and I quote. I'm just sad for everybody involved. It's just a tough situation for a lot of people. Their fan base is a loyal fan base. They love Aggie basketball. It's just very unfortunate for not just their program, but for college basketball in general. I hate seeing it. I've been thinking about it a lot uh, of people that are directly involved. I'm hoping for better days for all of them. There's the uh, Chris Jans comment on what happened. Um we won't know, I'm sure, for uh, a while, as to what will uh, you know what will happen. Um, although you could think that if the coaches are going to be out, uh, I don't know why that decision would take longer than uh, a few days this week. You would think. Yeah, I would think that this would, I mean, the powers that be probably move a lot quicker on this right here. Uh, I know we've been hearing a lot from Jason Groves from the Las Cruces Sun News. Um, intel on Greg Hire's contract. That's what he's been tweeting out. Threads about that and, you know, what is deemed, uh, what, what he could be fired for, any clauses in his contract to kind of note uh, and stuff like that. So I, I think that's going to be really interesting to look at moving forward and what the stipulations will be uh, if he, you know, Greg Hire and everybody else on that staff will get, it could eventually get fired. Well, there has to be, uh, when it comes to these contracts... I'm sure there's a morality clause. There usually is a morality clause with every contract in, in coaching. And if there is, that'll most likely be what, you know, what they will, what, what they will hold. Um, here's the thing, though, and, and this is what is also, to me, interesting. So, you know, some people believe that this scandal will set New Mexico State back um, – I don't know. You could say, you know, years because of what went down. Years. But nowadays, with NIL the way it is, I would think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I would think that if you buy a couple of players and you surround it with a halfway decent supporting cast, you're not going to be dead last in Conference USA, um, you know, like some people would believe. Now, there's always the possibility that players just won't want to go to New Mexico State after what happened, and they'll be hesitant because of the story, and that'll be something you have to deal with. But if you end up having an entirely new roster, a new coaching staff, and you just attack it from, hey, we are going to do a whole reset on this basketball program, and NIL is is definitely something that you can use to you know in place of trying to go out and, and get talent – Adrian, I don't see why, like in the past, when you didn't have NIL, I would say, yeah, this program's going to be set back quite a while, and, and this is going to be a, an absolute disaster for the fan base and the program and everything else. But what I think will happen is um, probably everybody from this season will be gone, and you'll have a whole new roster next year with a whole new coaching staff and a whole new everything and when that takes place, because you will have NIL at your disposal, that new coach and staff will then, you know, talk to the prospective players by saying, hey, look, we weren't here last year. We can't control it. All we can control is this point forward. We want to rebuild. We want to do this. We want to do that. We've got some NIL, you know, they've got NIL dollars. 
And it's not going to be as tough of a rebuild as it would have been prior to NIL and the portal like we see today. I think the one interesting part uh, that we haven't taken into consideration is that the big change for New Mexico State, despite maybe you know having that new coach, having an entirely new roster and a new coaching staff, they'll be in a new conference. They'll be transitioning into Conference USA. Yep. So it's unfamiliar waters all across the board for New Mexico State. And I, I don't know, Steve. I think with a with a black eye around your program like this, uh, a dark cloud around your program, and just uh, no games to close out the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be tough. It might be a really tough sale, despite no affiliations for the predecessor. Assuming that you know they bring in a new coaching staff, it, it might be difficult for them to actually get out, go out and get recruits, knowing that at the end of the day they're playing for New Mexico State men's basketball. That's the program they're representing, and they have been in the news for this kind of scandal right here. Well, that's true. Uh, that is very true. That's why, to me, if in fact uh, they they have a whole new staff in place. When the smoke clears. And by the way, I mean, another another question is, will Mario Mocha survive? I don't know if Mario Mocha is going to survive. I, I was, I've been asked that a lot. And I think that 50-50 right now. I would say I, I really can't answer that one. I, that's, that is a call for outgoing Chancellor Dan Arvizu, who's got power to do whatever he wants right now. I mean, he's so, um, Adrian, I'm not sure if you're aware, but Arvizu's contract did not get renewed. So he is out at the end of the school year in May, but he also has the ability as chancellor to really do whatever he wants without board approval. Like he is the guy that can make can do whatever he needs to right now for the uh, for, for the program, and that means that if uh, the coaches are going to be gone and uh, potentially every others, that's that's an Arvizu call because the board needs to meet um, and and do that uh, publicly. They can't do it behind closed doors. They don't have that power. Arvizu does. Yeah, I'm so interested because the outgoing part of Dan Arvizu might be the most important part of all of this right here because at the end of this academic year, he's, his contract's no more. I mean, what if we see an entire new regime from top to bottom at New Mexico State, it's starting possible. with their chancellor, starting with the new athletic director and a new men's basketball head coach. Uh, football is in a good place right now for New Mexico State, but at, on the athletic side of things, this men's basketball scandal puts such a dark cloud over the entire athletic department that you have to start questioning every parts and, and every areas and, and all the jobs out there. Oh, by the way, you know, you say the football's in a great state. Uh, remember this, with that new contract that Jerry Kill got, he had a stipulation saying, that if Mario Mocha is not director of athletics, it needs to be, and he had one other person named in that uh, in, in that group. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. But if New Mexico State goes outside that bubble, then Jerry Kill could always exercise that clause in his contract and leave the football program, and then the Aggies are screwed. That's definitely correct. It's a gamble that if you're Dan Arvizu right now, you have to weigh out all those options thinking, hey, if I do really clean house and, you know, or if it's not Dan Arvizu, if it's the next incoming chancellor, if I really clean house, uh, what would happen to this athletic department if it, if Mario Mocha isn't here? Would that, you know, would that cause a riff with it, my own head coach in football? in which I, I just had a lot of success in right there. It's a real interesting uh, situation right here, and it's tough decisions that these uh, chancellors and these people in charge are going to have to make. Oh, it's so true. It is so true. Um, you want to talk about it? We've got lines available right now. So much we could talk about. Yesterday's game, the Aggies program. I mean, those are the two biggest topics, and they're trending nationally. Of course, we know the big one would, I mean, it's the game everybody's talking about, but... Mexico State's been on the top of every news that there is. Just don't expect NBC Nightly News to try to figure out which program it is because they got it confused with the one in Albuquerque. How embarrassing, Steve. How embarrassing. They should be ashamed right there. They should be. You're 100% correct. 505-6009. we got lines available. We'd love to fill them up with you. As we go to Adrian, let's get our first bottom of the hour Sports Center update. The name of the individual that... Um, Jerry Kill mentioned that if Mario Moch is not the AD, in order for him to stick around, he would need um, Braun Cartwright to become 
the next uh, director of athletics. And by the way, he is the deputy AD. So, yeah, that is another uh, really interesting storyline going out of Las Cruces right now. And all I can tell you is this, folks. Uh, It is fascinating to me. It is something that we definitely want to keep an eye on. And who knows how this one's going to, um, you know, resolve itself. Anyway, I'm, uh, I'm working on getting into Facebook, Adrian, because we have a new uh, operating system. So if you can let me know in my ears who we've got, that would be great. Thank you. 34 past the hour. 505-6009. Let's begin with Arizona. Richard, kick it off here on this Monday edition of Sports Talk. What's up, Richard? How are you? Hey, hey long time no talk. You know, I've been all over the place. How have you been? Doing fine. Thank you, Richard. We're in the same place we are every day. But, hey, good to have you back. Yeah, I just want to, a, you know, I am an Arizona alum and then my postgrad at NMSU. But let me just preface this by saying that for a long time, it's been on my radar, both the basketball programs here, UTEP and NMSU. But, you know, primarily UTEP because, you know, they used to be in the WAC conference with Arizona and Arizona State. So storage basketball programs and, of course, extremely disappointed on what's going on over there. It's, it's heartbreaking. And it like, it like it's already been said, I feel for the kids, especially the ones that are, I guess, the victims of this whole tragedy. So we'll have to wait and see. You know, it's going to take some time to recover on that note. Totally, so, totally. Wait, and wait. I agree with you. I agree with you there. I think that's, I think that's well said. And uh, only time will tell. Only time will tell on this right. one. As a quick call on the game last night. Uh, as a referee in high school sports, I still do that. As much, as much as people don't like it in a big game, uh, very close at the end, that was a holding call, and I think what people are not looking at is that was totally justified, even though it was kind of slight, for the simple fact that receiver was the one that was going to receive the ball, and so that's why that official threw the flag. You know, I mean, I know it, you can argue whether it should have been let go or not, but you know, from my point of view, that was a, a just call. Oh, it was a flag. I don't think there's any question that that it was a penalty. My biggest complaint is that uh, they didn't call one of those the entire game, and there were plenty of opportunities to do it, and they didn't. So my attitude is always the same. If you're consistent, whether you're consistently good or you're consistently bad, as long as you're consistent, I'm happy. But when you suddenly decide with two minutes left to go in the fourth quarter to make your first defensive holding call the game after other opportunities presented itself and you didn't blow the whistle, that especially in that situation of a 35-35 game, that's tough. That's really tough. I hear you on that one. And believe me, that's, in my profession, I hear that all the time about consistency. <laughs> well, do you agree? Let me ask you this. Do you agree with it or disagree with it? No, I, I can see that. I mean, that's something, well, I'll speak for myself, and perhaps I could speak for all officials at all levels. We try to be consistent, but you're right. We're human, and sometimes I would just say there's sometimes where we would probably like to take that flag back. Well, that's that's true, but in this situation, I don't think, well, again, uh, it was a flag. I don't think anybody's disputing that. It's just always tough when it hasn't been thrown the whole game, and that ultimately decides the outcome. Now, does Philadelphia deserve a pass? No. They couldn't stop Kansas City in the entire second half. They never forced them to punt. Their defense was terrible. And they got away with other things. I mean, there was a fumble taken away when Kansas City got the ball and they called it back. There was an obvious hold on Schuster that prevented him from catching a ball. They didn't blow the whistle. So I did feel like Philly was the benefit of a lot of of, uh, no calls or reversed calls, and then this one just came back to bite them late. No, I agree. I hear what you're saying. And you know what I would love to be privy to? Because I know these officials get evaluated. I would like to hear some of the evaluations from their uh, powers that be, just to see, you know, just to see for my information. But, you know, they keep that private, so we'll probably never know. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, appreciate the phone call. Thanks for getting in. We'll talk to you, Richard. All right, right, bye. 38 pass. The sports talk continues. Let's go next to uh, oh, one of our favorites, Chad Middleton. He's uh, joining us uh, on the show. Chad, how'd you enjoy the game yesterday? It was fantastic, Steve. Five uh, eleven, a firm two hundred. Thank you. Um, <laughs> nice. Let me I wish I had a bell. I wish I had a bell for you, Chad. I wish I had a bell for yeah, you. I- Ding. Hey, let me ask you a question really quick, and yeah. I'll take your answer off here because I'm probably going to a spot. 
where my reception was going to be crap. Okay. So, really quick, has anybody brought up, because I came in late today, has anybody brought up how this could be or in any way possible a carryover from the Jans regime and they were able to cover up anything that had been going on up there? Thank um, you. I'm glad you came back and you guys did a great job last week. I'll take your answer off the air. You're the best. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Um, I'll make it very, qu- very quick. From everything we've gathered, this has absolutely zero to do with the Jan the Jans regime. In fact, there is only like two players from the Jans regime that's even on the team this year, and uh, they, uh, according to what we've heard, have have no involvement right now. Let's let's just put it that way. Yeah, and one other thing to mention because we've been asked, uh, no, Mario McKinney, who has been indefinitely suspended from mm. UTEP men's basketball, yep. he had zero, nothing to do with the situation at New Mexico State. Uh, J- head coach Joe Golding confirmed that on Saturday as well and wanted to make that very clear. Mario McKinney has nothing to do with this. Great point. I'm happy you did that because that's exactly right. We'll take one more call before we go to break, and that'll be Sean. We've cleared him. 505-6009 if you want to get into the show. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing great. How are you? Appreciate it. Doing fine, thanks. Great. Love your show. Thank hey, you, Sean. You know, I'm a Chiefs fan. I'll throw it out there right Congratulations, the Sean. Well, yeah, you know, I'm 50 years old, so it wasn't a great time until the last five years, right? Hey, so, it's all, all that matters is what's happened recently. There you go. There you go. So... You know, everybody wants to point to this holding penalty that the cornerback admitted was a hold. Yep. Everybody, you know, the replay shows the left hand, but they don't show the right hand that initially grabbed him. And all the Eagles fans or anyone who's anti-Chiefs, let's just say, who threw a fit about it, it was, what, fourth and two, fourth and three, Eagles had the ball. Naughty lines off, lines up in the, in the neutral zone, kind of jumps forward but resets. All the Eagle players stand up, point at him and say, he, he moved, he moved. Well, he reset. You know, he didn't, he didn't cause any harm, mm-hmm. but they got a first down. Yep. Because that guy, that guy moved into the neutral zone. And, you know, if I want to get real bitter about it, the Chiefs were supposed to be to four Super Bowls in the last five years, but D Ford lined up in the neutral zone when we intercepted Tom Brady in the oh. AFC Championship game. So that play had nothing, you know, he didn't get close to the quarterback, nothing happened, but they called that, you, you know. So when people start worrying about the, it, it's more has to do with the timing of the penalty. You know, it happens at the end of the game. We're still in field goal range. That's true. Ball back with a minute left. And by the way, no. uh, Jarek McKinnon deserves a ton of credit. All right, let's just let's just say that because Philly was trying to get him into the end zone. They did everything but lift him up and and escort him into the end zone, and he had the wherewithal to kneel down at the two yard line, which set them up for that field goal to run the clock down. That is a huge play. I've seen it so many times where players don't do that, and really, he deserves a lot of credit for having the heads up wherewithal to make that decision. So so heads up and. You know, go back to the fact that we have an injured quarterback who last two weeks ago is throwing to a tight end as a receiver because we're down all the receivers. Still beats the Bengals. Then we play the number one defense in football. And, yeah, one of our touch, you know, was a defensive play, but we missed a field goal. We put up 30 points against the number one defense. That's true. We, they didn't stop us the whole second half. We scored on every possession. So, you know, things happen. There's always – there's always some weirdness to it. You know, they can talk about the Bengals. And, you know, if nobody nobody says that he didn't push him when he went out of bounds. They say, well, I just wish they hadn't thrown the flag. So, you know, Patrick Mahomes on one leg can, can do this without Tyreek Hill in a rebuilding year, starting three rookie cornerbacks two weeks ago. Yep. I mean. It's amazing. They have to give some kind of credit to – the defensive coordinators, the owners, the managers, you know, Reed putting it all together. You know, we got uh, two linemen. We, re- we redid our whole offensive line uh, from the Tampa uh, debacle when they were all banged up and, and not good. And just look at what they did in a rebuilding year. They won the Super Bowl. That's exactly. When, everybody, when they weren't even they, – they, none of those Fox guys said they were going to win, and they weren't even favored to, uh, to win the AFC West this year. Yep, that's right. That is right. 
So love my Chiefs. <laughs> Have a good one, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call. All right. 43 past. Memphis Drew, you're coming up next. Stay with us. More in a moment. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Back on Sports Talk. Nine in front of five right now. New Chihuahuas manager Philip Wellman coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Rachel Phillips at 520. Excited about that. John Teicher, 6 o'clock from Moon Tower Sports Bar and Grill. So we got a lot to do in the next hour and 10. Let's keep it moving right now. You on in, 505-6009. Here's Memphis Drew. Been waiting patiently through the break. Drew, how are you? Doing good, Steve. I'm glad you and Adrian had a nice, safe trip back Arizona, man. Not as nice. Uh, not, you know, I'm happy we did too. Trust me. It was an easy trip back, to be honest with you. No traffic, nobody, no, nothing really, uh, very non event, you know, very uneventful drive back. No we construction? Had a, no, we had a good time. We were talking about the, the, the three days of broadcast, and, uh, you know, we, were, we came back pretty uh, pumped up about everything and excited about all that. And then we got to listen to the UTEP game on our way back in town. That was really cool. Hey, what's your favorite area of Phoenix? Is it Scottsdale or Chandler or Peoria, Gilbert? I've always, I've always liked the Scottsdale area, personally. That's me. Although I've gone, you know, we, we usually stay with some friends in Cave Creek. That's very nice as well. Yeah. Adrian, what do you like the best out there? Yeah, Scottsdale for sure. I've been out there a few times, and yeah, I definitely would go that way. How about you, Drew? Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, Scottsdale's cool. Scottsdale's nice. Hey, there's four college basketball teams I follow pretty well. That's my Memphis Tigers, Utah Miners, uh, Lobos, New Mexico, and uh, Aggies of Las Cruces. And, man, that's uh, that hurt, man, the way the program is right now. Uh, yep. They, they, uh, they, I'm sure that's it. Second biggest uh, revenue source is the basketball team. Uh, oh yeah, probably used to be the biggest. I mean, let's be honest, yeah. football wasn't drawing anything, and basketball was carrying them. And now it's the other way around. It's pretty crazy. And uh, I wonder how uh, the fans are going to react and uh, sponsorship. Uh, you think that'll be affected? Well, I mean, think about it, okay? You got all these people on board, all these businesses on board, and you've just canceled the remainder of your season. So now you have to talk to them and hope that, number one, they understand, probably rework the deal, and then beg to get them back next year. When they're, they, you know, that's, that's a really, really tough, you know, I'm happy you brought that up. That's the business side of things, Drew. And, you know, some people don't even realize that. When you've got sponsors that are, you know, pretty much keyed in and, and you realize you had all these home games left and you lose your home games and now you've canceled everything and who knows what's going to happen, absolutely that's an issue, a huge issue. And finally, I'll touch on Hurts. Man, I think he's the best quarterback in the NFC now. In the NFC, I would say. Oh yeah, I like I love J- and Jalen Hurts played a terrific game yesterday. Let's let's yeah, not yeah. sugarcoat it. He bounced they back from that mistake. fumble and they put ten more up on KC. Philly didn't lose the game because of their offense yesterday. I'll say that. Yeah. All right then, Steve. Welcome back, you and Adrian. Have a great show. Appreciate you. Thanks for the call. A lot of fun listening to Drew talk, Adrian. Good comments, good takeaways, but the business angle is a great one. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's something that a lot of people uh, will definitely think about. Uh, sponsorship dollars. Will people support uh, New Mexico State men's basketball in the near future yep. and actually buy tickets to them? It's so tough. There's a lot to uncover here with this story still. And that takes us into our number two next. We'll do a little baseball. We'll have Rachel Phillips on to give us the latest surrounding what's going on in Las Cruces. And then John Teicher. Oh, and we still have awards to give away from UTEP's big win on Saturday over UTSA. Some more thoughts on Super Bowl 57. All that to come as we continue right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Sports Talk as we continue uh, with all the news locally. Uh, one big story that we haven't really had a chance to talk about yet is that the Chihuahuas have a new manager. 
And now that football season is over, that means baseball season is right around the corner. And it gives us an opportunity to visit with Philip Wellman, the new skipper for the El Paso Chihuahuas. Uh, great to see you here as uh, you came in with your wife for the introductory press conference before you head out to spring training. And uh, really excited about the opportunity to have you in El Paso. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited about the opportunity that the Padres have afforded me. Um, you know, it's hopefully these next six weeks fly by and and uh, March 31st, we kick it off. But it's, it's great being here. Thank you. You are a baseball lifer. There is no other way to put it, from your playing days to your coaching and managing days. And although you've been at spring training, uh, I should say you've been at AAA before, uh, you've never had the chance to manage AAA. Be your first time. Uh, pretty exciting for you, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, I didn't really realize this until somebody brought it up before, but uh, – you know, this is my 39th spring training, 35th as a coach, so it's taken me 35 years to get to, to AAA to manage. And like you said, I, I was a bench coach in, in uh, 2000 in Louisville and um, for then-manager Dave Miley, and uh, that was the last time I've been in AAA, so that was 23 years. But um, no complaints. The, the past 23 years have been a blessing, 23 years in AA, and, and uh, it's been fun. But... You know, it was it was getting to the point where I, I'm very, again, very thankful the Padres called and offered me this job because I was I was looking forward to something a little different, and and uh, they provided me the opportunity to manage in AAA. So, you know, we're real excited about it. I think people don't realize also in this business you can't really lobby for AAA. You you you're with an organization, and for the most part, uh, you know, you hope that they feel good enough about your skills to give you the opportunity to come and, and, and manage in a, in, you know, a place like this or uh, in the AAA level? You know, it, it's, uh, you're right. And I'm not, a, I'm not a lobbyist, and I've never lobbied, and I felt like just go do your best job you can. And if they recognize it and think it's, it's, it'll work in AAA, they'll send you there. But I also believe that as long as I've been in it, I believe that the, not that AAA is not important, but AA was immensely important. Um, you know, I figured out a long time ago, if you could play and have success in AA, then you had a chance. And, uh, you know, AA, unfortunately, is, is where a lot of guys' career ends. And, and the, the, if they can't, they can't get it done in AA, you're not going to be able to get it done in AAA or the big leagues. But, um, you know, it's, it, it, was, it was a good run, and, and 23 years is a long time to be riding a bus. And to be real, real honest with you, that's one of the things I'm most excited about, not having my spine driven into a bus seat. Um, all year long and getting on a getting on a plane every once in a while, but um, you know you just you do the best you can. And they called and, and said, "Hey, we'd like to offer you the AAA job managing in El Paso." And I said, "I'll take it." And then, you know, I'm I'm excited about it. Philip Wellman here with us as we continue on Sports Talk. Um, I'm sure as a, a baseball fan, you're familiar with this city, a longtime Texas League affiliate, uh, back all the way through the mid-2000s. And, you know, we know what AA baseball is like. We've had our now our taste of AAA for the last 10 years, but uh, this city saw the development of a lot of uh, great uh, players in the Milwaukee and uh, Arizona organizations over the years. And now they've had a chance to realize just uh, what AAA ball has been like with the Padres uh, ever since uh, with the uh, Chihuahuas first arrived. You know, you know the, the, that's that's what I said in the press conference earlier. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing. You know, I know what what it felt like when we promoted guys from Double A to, to El Paso, and you know, as happy as I was for the individual player because that's their goal to get a step closer to the big leagues. You know, it it hurt, and um, you know, it's 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 going to be nice to be on on the uh, the receiving end of, of some of those young prospects coming to. To Triple A, you know the, the, the same possibilities are, are here of us, you know, sending our better players to the big leagues. And again, that's that's a time for cel- cel- celebration for me. Is you know you got to remember these kids have been dreaming about playing in the big leagues since they were little kids, and and uh, you know you don't want to certainly don't want to be selfish. Say man, that's going to hurt us, but you know it it, it does. And and, and it, but the way you look at it is it gives somebody else an opportunity, and you get somebody up from Double A and. And uh, the excitement builds up again, but yeah, it's um, it's it's a little different here than 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 Double A when when you're dealing with with players that uh, have have already had big league time. You know, we had some guys, probably three or four guys, all of which played in El Paso that had big league time before with Eshelman and Domingo Laban, Webster Rivas, and you know those guys were great guys. But uh, 
you know, you'll have a, a, a clubhouse full of guys that have big league time here, and, and that's our goal, to get them back to the big leagues. How nice was it for you to be back home in San Antonio and get a chance to manage uh, in a place you grew up in? You know, it, it was nice, and um, I, I think probably the nicest thing was is that, that I got to see my family. We live in Chattanooga, Tennessee now, and so I got to see see my father passed away last August, but, you know, up until then, we he was at a lot of games. I got to see my mom and dad a lot. I got three younger brothers. I got to see them a lot, and and old friends that, that I grew up with. But um, you know what? That that was nice. Um, but you know what? They, they have they have flights from San Antonio to El Paso now. If they want to come fly out here and see me, they can, come, they can get on a plane and come on out here now. So, um, you know, we, we did that and, and uh, you know, made great memories there, but it's time to make new memories. You said something interesting during your press conference today, Philip. You talked about how really what you want from your players is effort. As long as you see these guys go out and give you some effort and hustle, you'll be happy no matter really the outcome. Is that something that at the AAA level you shouldn't have to ask for that? I mean, it should be automatic, but players today, do you always get that kind of effort uh, like like you want? No, I don't think you do. And I think if we're brutally honest with us, I think you know people that pay to come watch games, that's what they're usually most disappointed in is they don't see effort and and uh you know that that's that's the one thing you you can control you know yourself is is your effort and your intent and you know what i mean by intent if there's if it's a tie game in the eighth and there's a leadoff double and and you're the next hitter and and i can't see that your intent is to try to move him to third um you know that that doesn't set well with me because that's how that's how you win ball games and and uh you know, I understand that it doesn't always happen. Um, but as long as your effort and your intent were there, maybe you foul off a couple balls down the right field line and your attempt to move him and, and the guy throws you a nasty slider and you punch out, I can live with that because I know what your intent was. I know what you were trying to do. So I know your brain was engaged. Um, but if I see you go up there and first pitch, line out to the third baseman, you're not trying to move that runner. You know, and I, I have a hard time accepting that as, as doing things right. I would assume also running out ground balls, definitely want to see that as well. Sure. You, you know, go first to third when you got a chance. It's not just running running balls out to first. You know, just run. It, it goes back to when you were a little kid. Run till you're out. You know, if, if, you're, if you're out four steps before you get to first base, okay, you can break it down. You're out. But you know what? Run. Put pressure on the defense and run. You know, just play the game right. Play it hard. As far as your style of ball, uh, give us a little. Do you like to try to manufacture runs? Do you like to bunt? Let me hear a little bit about what you like to do. Depends on depends on the horses in the stable. You know, one year if you got three or four guys that can hit, you know, and got they have power. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably not going to run as much. So I'm going to try to give those guys a chance to do damage. But you know, what I really like is 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 I, I like to play. Uh, you know, I like to run track during baseball season if we got guys that can run and uh, put pressure on the defense and steal as many bases as we can, go first to third as many times as we can, score from second as many. But some years you don't get those guys. You don't have the guys that can run. But hopefully, you know, because I think to me that's exciting. And, and for a guy that's gone out and, and worked his rear end off eight to five and then he wants to come have a couple of beers and bring his family to a ball game, I think that's what they want to see. Um, but unfortunately some years you don't you don't have a team with a lot of team speed and you can't do that. But – you know, um, y'all got a taste of Asturias Ruiz last year a little bit, and that was that was fun having him in in Double A for a couple of years because I I didn't he was he had the green light when he got on he ran and if he got thrown out he got thrown out so what but he he uh, he brought excitement he brought excitement to the game and if I had a team full of guys like him I'd be pretty happy. Philip Wellman with us here on Sports Talk. You've been in the game now, you said almost 40 years. Uh, it's changed a lot over those years. It really has, especially from a player development standpoint. Uh, analytics, sabermetrics, more now than ever before. Teams have invested in that. Uh, uh, as a manager, how difficult is it to try to continue to evolve so that as the game uh, advances, uh, you continue to do so as well? Well, you know, that's one of my fears at 61 years old. I, the last thing I want is for someone to say, you know, we don't have a place for you in the game because you haven't kept up. And, and uh, you know, do I know as much as I probably should know about analytics and, and sabermetrics? No, but that's also why we have 35-year-old coaches around because they're more, more up to date on that. But, you know, it's like I've told my boss, as long as there's a how, 
how to do something in this game, they they need old guys like me around because you know your computer and your numbers can't teach a kid to bunt. They can't teach a kid to backhand a ball. They can't teach a kid proper angles in the outfield. They can't teach proper proper turns around first base. And um, so as long as there's a how to, that's 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 where guys like me come into play. And you know I'm not opposed to getting all that information and using it. And you know seeing seeing a guy like. Jose Azokar's chase rate when he came over from the Tigers be almost 40%, and and then we we were able to get it down into manageable 20%, and then him go to the big leagues. You know, those were because of the numbers we saw. Now, how do you get a guy to quit chasing so much out of the zone? That's where we come into play. But it was nice seeing those numbers. It was nice to know that that was that was the the cause of his his lack of success at the plate. So. I'm by no means ever opposed to getting those numbers or hearing those numbers. We'll have a sports science guy here in El Paso with us. Um, you know, it's it's nice to get their input, and I think it's a total collaboration nowadays. Final question: What do you enjoy the most about not just your job as manager, but about the game of baseball that you've been in for all these years? Being outside, um, smell of the fresh cut grass. You know, it's still it's still. I've told my wife this for years. You know, if I if I quit getting chills during the national anthem you know we hear it 150 times a year it's time for me to go home and uh you know it's it's just the camaraderie um you know don't get me wrong i enjoy hunting in the off season i enjoy enjoy spending more time with my wife during the off season but you know the 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 this is what i do you know and and uh, it still thrills me to get out there in the sun and sweat and and work and and uh, watch players succeed we're looking forward to having you this season thanks for spending some time with us my pleasure thank you Philip Wellman, folks, new manager of the Chihuahuas. Continuing our conversation, we'll come back with plenty more right here. Let's go to Charlie One and get this traffic update. You don't yeah. deserve the win. Well, here's the funny thing: Eagles had great defense all the way up till this till till yesterday. Then their defense went to sleep. And as far as Kansas City goes, I thought their defense actually played better than Philadelphia yesterday. All things considered. Yes. yes. So you know, I watched a great game. You know, God bless them. And then uh, finally, Don Coriel getting into the Hall of Fame because, like Sid Gilman and others, he taught a lot of the coaches. Oh, yeah. Uh, Zampezi, Norm Turner, those are out of history. And, you know, I know, he, you know, he, in fact, a lot of people don't know this. He was a running back coach at USC until he went to San Diego State, realized he couldn't, he couldn't do that offense. So kudos to him. Great game. I think the coaches, though, and, and all over the place, even uh-huh. high school up. Got to coach defense, man. But, but you want to know? Win? But you want to know something, Joe? Uh, let's let's give a little credit to Patrick Mahomes. He's the best quarterback in football. And you know, as much as that defense tried, they couldn't get to him. That KC offensive line protected him. And you give yeah. Mahomes even the the slightest amount of time, he'll pick yeah. your defense apart. And that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, it's not like Philly lost to some scrub. They lost to the best in the game. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. But when when you can't cover the back in the flat, and he runs 30, 30 yards, and there's no one in the middle, I could run thirty yards if there was no one in the middle. So I sometimes yeah. think schematics. But great game, you're doing a good job. Miss you guys. Keep up the good work. Appreciate you, Joe. Interesting point Joe brings up. That you know what, despite Mahomes being Mahomes. They still gave him a ton of running room. Well, I'll just say this. Uh, we thought Hassan Reddick, that Philly defense, would rack up at least two sacks yesterday. They ended up with zero. Yep. So if we're not going to give all the credit here to Patrick Mahomes, let's at least give some credit to that Chiefs offensive line, which was uh, great yesterday. And they also created a lot of opportunities for uh, Isaiah Pacheco to run through those holes and burst out of the backfield. Great point. Let's go to the phones right now, as promised, from our news partner. ABC7, KVI-TV, Rachel Phillips joins us right now. She has been uh, very much uh, busy, like you would all imagine, inundated with the story out of Las Cruces in New Mexico State. First off, Rachel, uh, thank you so much for giving us some time here this evening on the program. We appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I heard you guys just talking about the Super Bowl. How busy I was is that I did not watch a second of that game. Isn't that crazy when you think about what's gone on in uh, in Crucis that it's been so much that it kept you from watching the biggest sporting event that our country puts on year after year. It's incredible. Yeah, just 
so much happening right now. It's it's truly crazy. So um, let, me, let me ask you this. We know what we've heard since yesterday, which was reported following the police report from the Las Cruces, uh, the NMSU, I should say, police department. Uh, do we have any new information today, Rachel? Honestly, not really. It's kind of been one of those weird uh, stalemates right now. I think a lot of people are waiting to see if any of the coaching staff or people in the athletic department are let go of after everything that's transpired and everything that is being accused of right now. Um, there is a Board of Regents meeting tomorrow, uh, tomorrow afternoon, and I, I look, there's no, there isn't confirmation that that meeting is about this situation, but you would think it would be considering the meeting only came to light uh, on Saturday, which is when the report first came out that there was something going on uh, in this NMSU athletic department. So, if you want to assume, you would probably assume that the meeting is something to do with that um, and that they would be discussing different personnel uh, on the mm-hmm. team uh, as well as in the athletic department. But in saying all of that, Chancellor Dan Arvizu actually doesn't need the Board of Regents' approval to fire anybody. He can make that decision on his own. So maybe he's just going in there to get some perspective or maybe that meeting is about something completely different, but it does appear that the meeting probably is about something to do with NMSU Athletics. So just to make it clear, the board is not able to pass um, you know, uh, that kind of a decision, at least uh, not um, immediately, but Arvizu as chancellor does have that power that even though he is going to be outgoing and uh, the, through the end of the school year is still serving as chancellor, if he wants to go ahead and, and uh, you know, let uh, heads start to roll, he could do that. Yeah, he can. So an NMSU official told me that he has – all authority to make a decision on a firing, whether it be of a coach or someone in the athletic department. Uh, he doesn't need the Board of Regents' approval on that by any means. The Board of Regents also can't make that decision in a closed-door meeting. They can in an open public setting, uh, but that they would have to plan that meeting out and give advance notice three days in advance, which we haven't seen anything of that kind. So either no firings are coming, uh, Chancellor Dan Arvizu is going to do it on his own accord, or in the coming days, we'll see an announcement for an open door meeting. Now, is it possible that Arvizu could attend the closed door meeting tomorrow with the board, discuss everything with the board, and then as a result, he goes out and uh, and, and decides that he is going to take action himself? Yeah, I, I honestly like to be a hundred percent honest with you. I'm not. I was under the impression that he can attend those meetings. I haven't thought that he couldn't. Uh, but maybe he can't. So I'm not too sure if, if uh, but I assume I, I assume that he could go to those meetings and uh, then I guess get their opinion and go from there and make a decision on his own. So what have, like, you've been in Las Cruces uh, talking to a lot of people. What's the mood right now uh, around the campus? Because today I saw a proclamation for football at, uh, you know, the New Mexico, um, I guess that was the state capital, and yet I found it surreal that while they're declaring, I guess today, New Mexico State Football Day, basketball has suspended its operations, and nobody knows for sure what's going to happen next. Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting kind of situation that NMSU finds it, and you think back to when all the shooting allegations were coming out, and it was a very similar situation. You know, uh, NMSU football was looking at potentially going to a bowl game, and in a sense, you know, you're covering this really horrific thing that has gone on with the shooting. And then you've got the other side of it where, you know, football's having an incredible season, something that nobody expected. And, you know, come full circle, here we are several months later, and it's a very similar situation. I think uh, from people that I've spoken to, they're just like saddened that this is where the basketball program is at right now. I mean, we all know that, you know, less than a year ago, this program was in the NCAA tournament, won the first round, was incredibly close to winning their second game as well. And and now it's here, you know, the season completely disbanded now and uh, a lot of questions, three players have already left. And I think a lot of people assume that more will start to leave as well as this goes on. And then you've got to remember that there is also still a shooting investigation that is underway into several players uh, on, on that team. There's just a lot going on with this team right now. Rachel, with the players that you just mentioned who will be uh, leaving the program from New Mexico State, what is, what is their status right now? Are they away from the team? Are they still on campus? What's the status for those players right there? I honestly don't know if they are still on campus with the team. Two of them 
Uh, one was a walk-on and the other one was a redshirt freshman, so they wouldn't have been traveling with the team anyway. Carl Fyatt was the only player that was playing regular minutes with the team. What I know is that when they all got back from California, they went into a meeting immediately with a lot of university officials to talk about what has come up in this report. Um, and then obviously from there, that's when everything started to transpire uh, with Chancellor Dan Arbizu shutting down the program uh, for the time being. And so they all had to go into those meetings with NMSU officials. And from there, within an hour of the team being uh, back in Las Cruces, that's when those first two players announced that they were leaving. And then Kyle Fight, the third player, he announced that just, I think, within an hour after uh, Chancellor Dan Arbizu decided that the program itself would be shut down permanently for the rest of the season. Holy cow. So it's crazy. So essentially right now, Rachel, we're really in a waiting game is what it sounds like because I don't expect the New Mexico State Police Department to reveal any of the redacted information in their reports. So I guess now we'll just have to wait and see whether it's going to be Arvizu or the board um, who makes the next move. Yeah, I mean, there's that to wait for, and I agree with you. Uh, We won't find out any of the redacted information, especially the names of players, unless they are formally charged. And obviously the victim isn't pressing charges, but that doesn't mean they can't still uh, face criminal charges if police have enough witnesses and deem that, you know, they should be criminally charged for what is being accused of them. So, I mean, that part we're waiting on to see if, you know, anyone is arrested uh, for what's being accused of them. And then on top of that, if uh, anything happens with with coaching staff and coaching personnel uh, within the program. And then obviously also the other caveat to that is Chancellor Dan Arbizu could potentially kick players off the team as well if they deem these allegations to be true, because not only is it, I mean, if what's being accused is accurate, a criminal act, but also on top of that, it goes against the code of conduct of NMSU naturally. And I would say when you say um, kicked players off the team, does that essentially mean expelling them from the university? Is that pretty much what, what, what would be understood, at least at this point? You would have to think so. But, I mean, you look back to Mike Peake, and he is still an enrolled student at the school. He's just not a member of the basketball team anymore. So I'm not sure. I think it would depend on the seriousness of and the, and how truthful these allegations are as to what transpires. But... Uh, yes, I guess it could be either one being not able to play for NMSU anymore, two being not able to uh, be a student at NMSU, or three, both of those things combined. If the reports are true and some of these hazing incidents happened in front of the entire team, then I would assume that you know, each member of the team will be uh, interviewed to get their accounts of what's taken place before uh, any kind of a decision is, is made. At least that's that's how it would make the most sense to me, right? Yeah, I think that would make sense. I mean, we know they were interviewed by NMSU officials when they got back from California uh, on Saturday. I'm not sure if they've also been interviewed by police, but I guess if police uh, want to go with these allegations and see how like truthful they are, then they're going to have to interview these players and, and see because, you know, the, the victim does say that the team witnessed it on multiple occasions and were there for the majority of these uh, hazing allegations, if you can call it even hazing. And uh, nobody from the New Mexico State Athletic Department has been made available since this story first broke, correct? That's correct, yes. Okay. All right. Well, listen. The only communication we've gotten is from Chancellor Dan Arbizu. What do you uh, What do you have cooking for us uh, for uh, KVA? Since I know you've been busy uh, all day long, what do you have in store for us? Yeah, I actually have a, a really uh, a beautiful and uplifting story uh, that'll air sometime next week. But we went and shot today. It's on uh, a, a kid on Centennial High School uh, basketball team. He's actually the manager there of that basketball team, and at three weeks old, he was he had a stroke. Um, and his parents were told he was never going to walk or talk again. Wow. And here he is. Uh, they actually have him dressing out on senior night on Thursday to uh, play a couple of uh, the first exchanges of the basketball game. And I, you know, I spoke to the coach, the player, uh, some of the teammates, as well as his parents. And it's just, I mean, on, on a day like today where we're talking about so much uh, just truly sadness and, and shockingness coming out of the NMSU basketball program, these are the kind of stories that you need to uh to uplift your spirits, it's, it's going to be incredibly motivational and, and inspiring, that's for sure. Hey, looking forward to uh, a good one coming out of Las Cruces for a change. Excellent. We'll be uh, keeping an eye on that one. And, and, Rachel, thanks so much for the time and jumping on the show with us today. Of course, guys. Have a good day. Hey.
Rachel Phillips, folks, as we continue here, 32 now past the hour on Sports Talk. More in a moment, but first, let's go right back to Adrian, standing by. Bottom of the hour, Sports Center update. Thank you so much. So, uh, really, after that conversation right now um, with Rachel, we're just in a waiting game. That's really what it sounds like. And, you know, it's going to be up to essentially um, the chancellor. Dan Arvizu to make the next move. And he's already the one that uh, made the decision to cancel the game Saturday and then cancel the rest of the season. That, that has been, uh, that's, that's Chancellor Arvizu's decision. And now when it comes to um, the future employment record of the coaching staff, members of the team, and uh, even as high as you know, Director of Athletics Mario Mocha, that's going to be Arvizu's call for the most part. You know, there's an interesting clause that was you know instituted recently from the NCAA. This is bylaw one or it's eleven one one one, and this is called uh, this is called the NCAA strict liability clause. And basically, it holds head coaches liable to whether they know or not about instances that could happen within a program, and they hold them responsible, which is how it should be. Right. If something goes on within your program, it you have to hold the coaching sta- staff accountable and responsible for situations like this. And when you read the details around this story for New Mexico State and the victim who was apparently hazed in this situation, this was a repeat occasion. This happened all the way uh, back since uh, July and August. And you know what? I mean, the fact that he's going out and filing a report uh, to campus police about this means that he doesn't feel comfortable in my opinion this is just me putting clues together um it means that he's not going feeling comfortable to going out and telling the coaches about these situations or the coaches aren't helping him uh resolve these situations i mean that could be what it is we don't know maybe it's possible that it was brought up to the coaches and nothing was done which is why he took this next step we're not really sure right. but the fact that this has gone back to the summer and now here we are in february and this uh, apparently went all the way through to last week, according to the story. Is uh, it's it's shocking. That's the best way to put it. Now, the other question is: Will this open the door for other hazing situations in college athletics that maybe people have been tight-lipped about? But now that this one's starting to come out to the forefront, will we find that there are other? Uh, prominent, uh, you know, athletic uh, departments around the country that are going to be dealing with the same story and the same situation. I don't know. I I feel like this is such an. I feel like it's easy for me to say, oh, they're de- you know hazing. It's this is an isolated incident, which it could happen at a lot of different schools. But to hear how the the details unfolded for this one, it seems egregious, right? Yeah. Like it seems like this program is an absolute toxic mess right now, and for players to have that kind of say and to uh. Have have the hazing going on within that program, it's absolutely disgusting. That has no place in college athletics, and if it happens at New Mexico State or anywhere else, it, it shouldn't be tolerated by anybody. That's very true. Very, very true. Before we come back with uh, John Teicher on our final countdown, hey, if you are in the market right now to uh, buy or sell your home, go with the guy that has world-class marketing and gets results every single time. His name is Brian Birds, and here's another great success story involving Liliana and Manuel. You know, they were ready to sell their Horizon home, but they weren't sure where to start, and they did some research on Google. Maybe they listened to Sports Talk, and they found Brian Birds and his team and decided to ask them for help. What a wise decision. Once that marketing quickly triggered multiple offers, the home was sold at the full asking price of three hundred and thirty grand. The closing was completed on Liliana and Manuel's timeline, and they were all set for what's next. Now, I know a lot of you are worried about leaving money on the table if you sell your home, but don't worry. Brian Birds of the Brian Birds Home Selling Team, powered by eXp Realty, they've got you covered, especially knowing that there are so many delays in getting a home sold with timelines not being met by a variety of individuals. But no matter what the obstacle is, Brian and his team know how to get it done. So call the official real estate agent of UTEP, El Paso Locomotive FC and the Rhinos. He's the only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home. You can visit them online at brianbirds.com or Google Brian and start packing. 